That Esports Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Esports Podcast. I'm Golden Boy. Make sure you give a follow on Spotify, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you choose to listen to your audio goodness. Lots of craziness going on in the world of esports today and really every day. But this time, it's a little bit different because unfortunately, a lot of events are being canceled, or I should say live events are being canceled. Uh, For instance, the Overwatch League, as well as the Call of Duty League, both being ran by Activision Blizzard, have announced that they will suspend the home series and home stand events, and there will be no live events moving forward, but the matches will be played online. The coronavirus is the one to blame here. It is a, a global pandemic that has shaken the world, honestly. And unfortunately, that means that we're not gonna be seeing a lot of live events. Uh, This has also impacted the LPL. This has impacted Flashpoint, EPL, so many events. EPL announced that they too would be doing online broadcasts. Uh, Flashpoint is doing a show with no studio members live in the audience. It has certainly been a interesting time. E3 was canceled for example, which was a massive event where so many games are announced and shared with the world. Instead, it will be more of a digital experience, or at least that's what Microsoft is talking about. And wonder how that could impact Halo Infinite, as we know that that game was more than likely gonna be shared at this year's E3. There's really just so much to talk about when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic and what it has done to esports. And obviously, this is not necessarily the kind of topic that I would normally cover on an esports podcast, but it has impacted esports in such a way that it makes sense to talk about it. There have been some great events, though. You know, I just came back from the LA Home Series. It was a great time to be back with the Call of Duty community. And of course, a big shout out to the Dallas Empire for picking up a huge, huge win. And the progress that that team has made has been incredible. And now that the event is going to go online, maybe Dallas Empire can keep winning tournaments because they are a really good team on the internet. (laughs) Well, I'm excited, though, for my guest today, though. Uh, She is one of the leading voices in esports journalism, known for her amazing coverage of League of Legends as well as Call of Duty. And in my opinion, she's a trailblazer in this space. Like all esports journalists who have made this a career, it is something that has fascinated me. I had her colleague Jacob Wolf on the podcast a few episodes ago. Give that a listen if you haven't had a chance to do so yet. Uh, But Emily Rand is truly a cut above the rest. And today we talked about, well, the coronavirus, how that impacts esports, but also how esports is in a very unique position to be able to, I guess, counter all of the things that are going on. And in fact, it actually reflects very well on the future of esports versus traditional sports. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my conversation with the one and only Emily Rand. I'm now joined by Emily Rand, who is an astounding journalist over at ESPN. Uh, She has known for her great League of Legends coverage, uh, covering the LPL, LCS, and all the other different uh, facets of the League universe, and also a avid Call of Duty fan who also covers the Call of Duty League. Emily, how are you doing? Um, Well, thank you. So we just saw each other in L.A. 
mm-hmm. and so I'm doing good. Uh, I've definitely been a little paranoid, obviously, because of the coronavirus stuff. <laughs> and being an in-house MC interacting with the crowd was definitely something that I was a little concerned about. Uh, but the event went off without a hitch. You were there covering it. Mm-hmm. Um, first, let's let's dive into that because you know I had Jacob Wolf on here, and we talked extensively about how uh, journalism and esports is such a necessary thing. It's something that wasn't really all that coveted for quite a while. It was kind of like a thing that people just did, you know, like in blogs and stuff. But they didn't really. There was no like real support for it. Now we're starting to see that come up more and more and more. ESPN certainly has been leading the charge into that. How did you get involved in in, in this crazy world? Uh, so I started with a blog. Um, like I started, I've, in terms of like video games and esports, they've kind of always been a part of my life. So I won't get into like how I got into League of Legends specifically, but I started writing about it on a blog and then I was picked up by... Um, Monte Cristo, actually, and his site, GG Chronicle, which is now dead. I'm going to list like a whole bunch of dead sites now. Rip GG Chronicle. <laughs> yeah, to rip GG Chronicle, rip Paravine, rip Yahoo Esports Vertical. Um, so I, I just kind of kept uh, going from from place to place to place until I ended up with ESPN. I started freelance. I was freelancing for them for a while. And I only actually just became full time last year for them. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So it's nice. What, it's nice to have health insurance. What made you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially in this day and age. Uh, <laughs> what What made you want to get into journalism? What What was like the driving force? Was there always something you were passionate about at a core level besides esports journalism? Um, or is it just not, like I happen to stumble upon being a commentator? Like it wasn't something that I you know, was like, I'm going to, this is a thing, a career path. Like this wasn't an option for me. Uh, so I'm curious what made you get into that world? Uh, so I was like a really active, precocious kid. Um, okay. and I was like, I'm going to change the world. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be a, <laughs> I'm going to be a journalist. Uh, so I actually went to school for it. Okay. Uh, I have a degree. Um, so that, that in, ter- in terms of like, you asked me if it's something I've always been passionate about, the answer is like, weirdly, yes. Um, and I really wanted to be a sports writer above anything else. So traditional sports, cause I'm a huge traditional sports fan, um, of all Boston teams, except for the Patriots for whatever reason, cause I really liked Brett Favre as a kid. Uh, so I became a Packers fan. Well, I appreciate as um, a New Yorker. Uh, I appreciate that <laughs> very much. So, uh, well, I mean, we can go. I, I don't know if you're a Yankees or Mets. I'm a Yankee. I'm a Yankees fan. Yeah, from yeah, the Bronx. So, uh, I don't think we can be friends anymore. We, oh, we got anyway. problems. We got problems. But it's okay <laughs> um, though. The Celtics are better than the Knicks. The, so, yeah, <laughs> marginally. The Knicks are, I, I want someone to do like an oral history of this Knicks era. Oh, yeah. uh including including the most recent spike lee feud that's going on like it's just really fascinating to watch from an outsider's perspective who has no emotional attachment to any of the people involved i think really. as as a new yorker i think we've all um <clears throat> settled on the idea that the knicks will suck and forever suck so long yeah. as the current leadership is in place and you know for me personally uh i've i've, I've lived in brooklyn for like the last you know i would say like four four years now um, this is where my wife is from and I've grown an emotional connection to Brooklyn. So, cause like everyone asks me all the time, would you ever move out of Brooklyn and go somewhere else? I'm like, you know, man, like real talk, 
I love the Bronx and I love the fact that I'm from the Bronx and it's given me so much. It's giving me my character and my like who I am as a person. But man, I just love living in Brooklyn. I don't live in in, in uh, the fancy part of Brooklyn either. Like, you know, I live in a, a pretty <laughs> interesting area. So, you know, when people are like, oh, yeah, of course you live in Brooklyn. You probably live in Williamsburg. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't live in Williamsburg. Don't ever curse at <laughs> me like that ever again. Uh, so, so you, you were interested in, 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 uh, professional sports, but then you got mm-hmm. into esports, obviously because of your passion for League of Legends, your Twitter handle is League of Emily. So mm-hmm. you clearly are a League of Legends fa- fanatic. Uh, yes. is that appropriate to say? Uh, I mean, yeah, I would say so. All, Considering, all things- like, my, my sleep schedule is completely designed around how many different League of Legends leagues I can watch at a time. That's unbelievable. Uh, uh, so um why why league of legends what was the what was the hook for it was it like you were just a fan were you a fan of the esport before you were a fan of the game uh i was a fan of the game before i was a fan of the esport i watched a friend so i've i've told this story publicly already so anyone who knows it is probably gonna laugh but uh i was like really drunk at a friend's house and i was watching him play league of legends yeah and i was like it's one of those things where I was just like, whoa, this game is so cool, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I went home and I downloaded it and I started playing and my friends told me I was terrible, which is true. <laughs> and uh, and to watch pro streams. So and this was in 2012. So I actually started watching um, TSM was the first. That's like, you know, how everyone talks about like fandom skeletons, like TSM yeah. is my fandom skeleton. Um, and then where I became really invested in it as an esport, because previously the only like esport I had followed was StarCraft. Um, got it. Got it. As like a just a casual viewer who was really interested because I had played StarCraft growing up. Uh, and then I started watching uh, Champions Korea because I saw K2 Rolster B at MLG Dallas. Oh, I remember. I was there at that event. Yeah, they were they were like the show match. It was them and um, uh, Moscow Five. I don't know if they changed their name to Gambit at the time. I think they were still Moscow Five. I think they were uh, still Moscow Five. Yeah, and they they met, and I was like, previously I'd only watched North America. I watched the season two World Championship, um, and that was really fun. But it didn't get me for whatever reason. Didn't get me emotionally invested in any team. But when I saw K2 Rolster B, I was like, oh, my God, this team is insane. They're so cool. They're doing things that I've never seen another League of Legends team do. And that's when I really got into studying the actual nitty gritty analytical stuff. And that's also when I started to to play more with the intention of not just like farting around, but understanding how the game actually worked at a more macro level. League of Legends is, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I'm not a league person. A lot of people know me for not being a league person, unfortunately, because I have great respect for Riot and and for the LCS and just basically what they've done for esports in general. Um, but I I had a an interesting story with League of Legends because I was there pretty much at the beginning. I I saw it, uh, you know, manifest. I saw it kind of, you know, become this beast because I remember profoundly. Uh, that there was this battle between Heroes of New Earth and League of Legends, who yep. would reign supreme in the Dota mod <laughs> community. Um, the core audience obviously loved Heroes of New Earth. Meanwhile, you know, people were like, oh, League of Legends is too easy. It's too simple of a game, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And then I remember uh, I had qualified for uh, WCG's North American finals um, for Asphalt 5. 
Uh, I was a mobile player. Uh, it was, you know, it was dark times. Um, but <laughs> interestingly enough, as I was training, uh, because, you know, I was actually pretty good. I was a, I was a top-ranked player in North America. As I was training, um, I was watching this documentary about StarCraft. And uh, this guy, apparently he's like a K-pop star or something like that. Uh, and he wanted to become a StarCraft player. I don't remember the name of the documentary, but I remember watching it and just being so enthralled by the whole thing. And then I just became infatuated with Korean esports culture and how it is, you know, just blossomed into this beautiful thing. Uh, and then one of the games that, you know, I was seeing pop up you know, time and time again was League of Legends. But I remember distinctly that Reginald and, and a few others, I think Dan Din as well, uh, yep. were saying that, you know, the North American players were always going to be better at League of Legends because they got a head start first over the Korean players. And then everyone else laughing uh, at them because they were yeah. saying that that was simply just not true and not going to happen. And they were going to catch up because... Koreans are just better at StarCraft or better at games, period, period. That was it. Uh, so I remember that whole thing taking place. So the reason why I talk about this WCG event was because I was there watching League of Legends for the first time. And I had no foggy idea what was going on. <laughs> uh, it was purple magic being thrown at each other and explosions yeah. and stuff. But people were losing their minds over this thing. And then I had met Danden at that event. Uh, and we're actually friends to this day. Um, I was out with my buddy. We were at a Carl's Jr. Uh, going to get some food. And we ran into him and this other guy. And I totally forgot his name. Um, they were like really good friends. And, uh, and, and, and he went on to compete professionally as well. Uh, the, the other guy, again. He was part of... Oh, I was going to say Dan was part of Epic Gamer, which is like yes. one, of, one of the greatest uh, names lost to time uh, in terms of I'm trying to, what, what, like what, original what, League of Legends teams. What was the roster? Because I'm actually trying to figure out the roster there. Uh, for, for Epic Gamer? Yeah, I'm actually looking it up right now because I'm pretty sure I'm going to see his name on there. It was, um, it was Dyrus. I believe like the so the lineup I knew of them was like the Dyrus, uh, Net Nguyen, um, Dan Din. Uh, uh, who else was on that? Damn, I you they know were, they were in the they were in the OG qualifier. Wow, um, I'm actually looking too, and Crumbs was a was a support there, which is genuinely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, sorry, not a support. He was a sub. He was a sub. For uh, them. I mean, du Double Lift was on that team. It's like it's weird because you have to like think about what what era of Epic Gamer the team. Yeah. The team that I became more familiar with was like the Net Nguyen team, but I think their original qualifying team was looks like West Rice, Dan Din, Sauce, uh, Dyrus, and Double Lift. So some interesting. Some interesting names there. Interesting, yeah. Well, basically, uh, I I just remember this um, simply because it was it, it really stood out to me, and uh, and I remember everyone saying like this isn't going to be a thing. They're like people just it's too confusing. People just aren't going to get into it. Um, so, but we we were there, and he ran into me, and we started chatting, and he was like, "Oh, hey, what do you what are you here for?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm competing in Asphalt Five. It's like the side tournament for this you know mobile game." And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm competing in the side tournament, too, for this, like, small game called League of Legends. And I was just like, damn, you know, uh, what a... And that was, like, one of the most viewed events at the time because uh, it was a lot of, you know, Twitch collaboration between Twitch and Riot. And it was it was just... 
interesting times. Like League of Legends has had such a, a, an amazing history. And I really look forward to one day down the line where we get that book. And maybe you're going to be the one writing it about League of Legends. And I mean, I would love to. You totally I, I should. I know so many things. <laughs> you totally should. But oh, so then, you know, on top of that, you're a huge fan of League of Legends. But then I find out that you're also a big fan of competitive Call of Duty, which mm-hmm. is not something that I would connect the dots on. Um, what what was your, I guess, introduction into competitive Call of Duty? Did you play? Were you, again, were you a fan of the eSport first before the play or before uh, playing the game yourself? What what was that, you know, uh, journey like? Uh, I have played Call of Duty off and on for a while. I think COD is one of those games where I honestly can't think of a person I know in my age bracket, and I'm older than uh, most people in esports, I think. Like, for the record, I'm 30. I just turned 36. So okay. um, I'm, I'm, like, ancient in terms of esports. I'm 32, so, ages. you know, we're, we're, I'm climbing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, COD is something that, like, everyone I know has played, right? Like, at least once, regardless of, uh, you know, uh, gender, like, uh any sort of like income bracket. I feel mm-hmm. like every single person I know has played at least one COD. Um, yeah. And the one I started playing was, which is probably not uh, a shock to anyone. The first one I like really, really got into was the original Modern Warfare. Oh, um, yeah. Call of Duty 4, so, Modern Warfare. Yep. yep. So uh, the, but again, like this is, Unlike League, where my trajectory from playing it religiously to following the competitive scene was like really intertwined almost, mm-hmm. COD was something that I was like completely casual on, like completely um, until last year when they were like, hey, you know, the the tournaments in Anaheim, does anyone want to go? And I was like, I'll go. Like, that sounds like fun. Um, you know, it's yeah. not something, it's not something I was like, I hope they don't expect me to come in and know everything about it. Uh, but in terms of just going and talking to players and that kind of stuff, like, yeah, sure. I'd love to go. So I went there, um, and I really loved it. And this was last year. So like, again, like I'm not pretending to come into the COD scene and know like anything at all, honestly, yeah. um, beyond like a very casual love of the game itself. And uh, I, I interview a bunch of players. It's super fun. Um, I think the the coolest thing I can say about COD competitive that keeps coming up to me, and I know we talked about it when I interviewed you this past weekend. I've talked about it with players a ton, is that players really need to do so much themselves. And so by the time they get to the competitive level where I'm interviewing them, they have a certain kind of self-awareness and wherewithal in interviews that a lot of other young pros don't have. So even a COD pro that is the same, like 18 or something, the same age as like a fresh Overwatch League pro, mm-hmm. uh, they're coming to it with a lot more experience of like putting themselves out there because you have to, right? Like it's not like you can just log into the competitive Call of Duty solo queue, you know, yeah, like you yeah. you need to talk to people, you need to put yourself out there. And I think because of that, COD pros are just so much more open and so much more like relaxed, I guess, in interviews. 
Um, and so it's really nice for me, especially coming into what was a new esport to be covering for the players to be so easy to talk to across the board. Uh, and that was yeah. something that is, was really awesome for me and, and helped me a lot coming into the space because I then covered champs, um, in, you know, uh, in it, like what a month away from Anaheim or something like that, yeah. like a month or two after Anaheim. Um, and that was really fun because I got to see United take it. And that was when I really started watching COD. Not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but that's when I was like, wow, like these guys are like, even with my limited knowledge of the game, I could tell that that for that tournament, they were playing on a level that was incredibly different than, than the other teams there. And that was really, really fun to watch and experience and to get to interview them afterwards. Um, especially I wrote a feature on Pristini that was really interesting to me considering his history when I looked at his history across COD and, and kind of how he's been this undervalued player going into this year on Florida. It's been really interesting to see how the narratives between him and his brother Arcides have kind of diverged and, and come back together. That's been something that's that's really cool to watch that kind of extended from my experience at Champs. Um, but yeah, now I'm covering the league and it's been really, really fun. Like, again, I can't stress how awesome it is to have a group of players that are so... I'm not, I'm not going to say necessarily they always want to do interviews because I'm sure they don't. Yeah. But they're, it, it's a lot less like... Sometimes I get into an, a, a room with a really young player and it feels like I'm attacking them. Not because I, I feel like I'm asking super difficult questions, but just because they're so nervous. And, and this unprepared. Has happened to me. And unprepared. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, like they just don't have experience. Like that's not, it's not a dig against them either. It's just, it makes it an uncomfortable situation for me as well, just because I don't want, I don't ever want anyone to feel uncomfortable when I interview them, you know? For sure. Um, for sure. And, it's a challenge. Yeah, and then, so one of the things I really love about COD, which is probably something that, like, no one else cares about, is the fact that even their young players are, like, super fun to just talk to. Yeah. Um, look, like well, Atlanta Faze, for example. Well, I was going like, to say, just they, look at the MLG people. Look at all the MLG yeah. people. All the MLG games. Gears, Halo, COD, all those players, they're all talkers. All of them. Yeah. Because of that audience. But sorry, continue about uh, Atlanta Faze. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, the, this is a young team, right? And they're so easy and fun in interviews, every single one of them. And it's just great. Like, you you don't see that in every esport. So it's I really culture. appreciate it. It's the culture. Yeah. It really is. It's it's a different kind of culture that a lot of people really just do not understand. You kind of you get a little bit of that in the FGC as well with some of the more outspoken personalities. But for the most part, I mean, you're getting... Just some really, you're getting good content. I never had a problem with a Call of Duty interview, right? Whenever I do mm -hmm. interviews on stage as a host uh, for certain events, um, I always find it more challenging, especially when I'm working with like the younger players, uh, like Rocket League, for example. Rocket League is like really tough because the players, you know, you got to bring the personality out of them. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder. A lot of them are pretty like, you know, docile, don't really like to get into it. Uh, Overwatch as well, right? We're talking about a majority Korean uh a player base that just doesn't really seem to be, you know, all that uh, outspoken, especially in front of like um, uh, American or, or English speaking crowds, I should say. Uh, there seems to be a little bit more reservation, right? Um, at least from my experience working on stage with them. So I think that that is just, you know, it's awesome to see like 
you because you're able to get that good content out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, speaking of content, we're gonna not have a lot of content moving forward because <laughs> the uh, coronavirus is essentially canceling esports to an extent. Um, there will be no Overwatch broadcast or, or homestands, I should say, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Uh, I don't think we've gotten an official word on the Call of Duty League yet. Um, but I know the Seattle event, I believe, was postponed or something like that. I think I've read somewhere. Could be wrong. Uh, I've heard rumblings. That yeah, I've heard a lot of rumblings. Very, very shortly. So. Yeah, I was even concerned that the LA event was going to be canceled. Um, when I'm kind of surprised it wasn't. Yeah, I, I contacted my manager and I'm like, hey, am I getting on this airplane? Because I need to know. <laughs> um, League of Legends has felt... The I would say League of Legends and Overwatch have been hit the worst out of it all because Overwatch obviously having a bunch of Chinese teams uh, or or teams that play in China and Asia in that area being hit so hard with it. League of Legends, the LPL, um, or is LPL and LCK, right? I think were the two yeah. that were suspended yep. Uh, yep. for the time being. So yeah, this is this is a uh, pretty crazy. But what I find interesting is that unlike professional sports. We have a solution. It's mm-hmm. called the internet, <laughs> and we can do it. Uh, we have the technology. So, do you feel like we're really going to struggle so much, maybe in the fan interaction, but these games can still go on, correct? So, I think one big thing, because I've been covering this since uh, mid January, uh, by virtue of the fact that I just follow LPL uh, religiously. And so, one of the things that mm. happened in LPL is that they suspended the season during the, a time when everyone went home to, for Lunar New Year, right? So again, outside of, I've, I've said this in a few interviews, but like outside of China, when we look at China, we think of China as like a monolith, but it is a massive country with a ton of major cities. Yep. And during Lunar New Year, it's traditional to go visit your family. So everyone left uh, Shanghai or wherever their teams are located because some Chinese teams have geo-relocated. And they went home to their families, this virus hit, and it meant that travel was affected across the board. So everything shut down for LPL. They basically had a test scrim league that took place about a a week and a half ago now Mm -hmm. um, that worked really well. And then that was kind of the impetus for them announcing that going forward, LPL will return as a fully online league. And the only hiccups they've had have been, uh, you know, certain players and coaches still cannot travel outside of uh, Wuhan because that's where the virus epicenter was. Yep. But in terms of cases outside of Wuhan, they've, uh, you know, died down significantly due to the efforts that the Chinese government has put into containing this. So what happens with LPL now is that they do indeed have the technology, although I will, I will say their inter- internet infrastructure is probably about as good as the U.S. is, which is to say not good, not amazing yeah, for especially for like two countries. We're talking about like a, a massive uh, yeah, two global superpowers involved. as well that have all the money in the world. But yet for some reason, and both have terrible internet infrastructure. Why, yeah. wonder, uh, wonder why that is. <laughs> goodness gracious me. Uh, not to get too far into politics, but yeah, it's unlucky, let's just say. Uh, so <laughs> uh, LPL announces that what they will do is they're going to have um, 
a fully online league. Most teams, what they're doing is they've had their teams travel to their bases in Shanghai because most LPL teams, even, even if they are, even if their home base is somewhere else like uh, Xi'an for Team WE, Beijing for both Royal Never Give Up and JD Gaming, they also have a team house in Shanghai because that's where the main LPL stage is. Got it. So they basically tried to get as many players as possible. They tried to do it as quickly as possible because there, there is a mandatory 14-day government quarantine where you have to quarantine yourself to make sure that you do not have the virus um, and that, so you can get tested, they can wow. monitor you, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of teams uh, started doing this early. Like Edward Gaming was actually really upfront about when they started moving their players. They posted on their Twitter and on their Weibo when they were moving. Um, so like some teams were actually really ahead of this prior to re- uh, the LPL returning. And this current week, the LPL is back up and running and we have the the some equally clowny games as we had it all the way back in week one in january uh it's been great to see that the you know the (laughs) actual competition has seemingly not been affected uh outside of a few a few pauses like uh due to internet issues which you're going you're just going to have like yeah i feel like anyone who's watched competitive esports in china has some sort of weird horror story about what's happened whether it's Hey, this person bought the rights to the stream mid-tournament, so the stream cut out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Which actually did happen once. Um, or you know, the the internet infrastructure at this venue is so bad that we just keep having insane pauses, and no one can log in. And when someone logs in, they push the minions and end the game, and it awards the other their opponent the victory. Uh, there's been some sketchy stuff like that in the past, but thus far LPL has gone out like without any serious issues other than a few pauses. So I fully expect with, um, and again, I don't have, I actually do not have any insider information on this, but based, based on the LPL model, what I do expect is for example, a country like Korea with significantly better infrastructure (laughs) than China. Um, I fully expect that they will likely follow a model like this where they will come back up as an online league for the foreseeable future. For the U.S., uh, I know that for Overwatch League, they did announce that, or uh, Pete Basilica tweeted out that they're looking at online options for teams to play. Oh, and by the way, can we just for a second talk about the confusing... Uh, a rollout of that whole thing yeah that was unlucky as well because i'm like i'm like <laughs> okay so you're so i was i was we just recorded the foreheads uh myself brand sideshow and reinforce yeah. yeah i watch it and well i'm sorry um we just <laughs> it's we, very entertaining you shouldn't be <laughs> we just re- we just recorded and then uh when we were done recording they had gotten the email and then they were like ah crap this is it you know it's canceled and i i was like Oh boy. And and for me too, that was a significant blow because I had uh, a bunch of homestands already like booked and planned. So mm-hmm. I, I I knew that it was going to, you know, especially affect my bottom dollar, but it was more importantly, you know, them too, uh, because they weren't going to be able to work. And, um, and they said it was canceled. And then, you know, here comes the announcement and they say it is canceled and then pete vasilica goes on twitter no it's not canceled 
we're just looking for options. Like, why did you put that in the original thing? I think that what happened was that they had intentions of canceling it. And then they kind of saw the, you know, maybe, maybe what uh, LPL was doing and thinking to themselves, wait a minute, we could just, we could just do this. Uh, so it's going to be weird times ahead for sure. But I mean, we, we've been doing this for such a long time. Like folks, like, let's just get back to the roots of esports, right? We were doing online competitions before it was, you know, cool. So I think (laughs) I, I I use cool very loosely. Uh, so I think it's very, very possible. And I, I certainly don't think that this is going to affect things for certain companies, um, all that much. When you think about it, call of duty can be, you know, played online, uh, a lot of the talents are already going to be in LA, so you can easily just go and do online stuff there. Uh, same thing with with uh, Overwatch, with League of Legends. Um, so, and then also for LCS, though, I think they'll be okay because everyone's already there in LA, yeah. right? So, I, I maybe there won't be a reason for them to have to do that. I, I just I just get really interested in uh, how this is going to impact a lot of the bottom dollar for it. even I would say traditional sports because I think that there's an opening here there's an opportunity for esports to say listen even in the instance of a global pandemic we can still operate we can, entertain you. Yes. we can still entertain but we can't you can't do that with the NBA the NHL NFL Premier League WWE AEW doesn't matter you can't do it with any of those but you can do it with esports. And... Yeah, esports is in a really unique position, I think. I was talking to people about this yesterday after the NBA cancellation, which was like a whole other can of worms in terms of who uh, contracted the virus and his actions oh, yeah. in the previous uh, press conference. And that was great. But, uh, um, but I think I do think that esports is in a really unique position because not only are they more set up to compete online, you don't need, like, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because we've had so many leagues go to geolocate. And I know when it, the LPL first did it, which is the, L, the, the first league I watched do it, I was like, I'm not sure why you need to do this. And their response was that they really want to bring like since esports is a thing that's online, but they have so many fans that want to meet the players. It's less about necessarily tying a, a, a team to a city, although that's part of it. It's also about like bringing the road show to you. Right. Which I think is something we also see from LCS finals. We see from LEC finals in terms of them trying to travel to different countries to make sure they get their fan base covered. We see it from overwatch league, I think. Um, but it is a very, important to kind of reel this back and be like esports doesn't need to be geolocated like it just doesn't there's no reason it has to be and so despite the fact that i think geolocation uh there are a lot of positives from it from a marketing perspective i do think that there's a really easy uh way to reel it back you already have an audience that's super used to watching things online right like there are so many people who don't go to homestands, but still want to watch stuff online just because they don't, I don't know, they don't want to go outside or they don't want to have to pay to go or what, or like meeting the players isn't really a thing for them. And so you can very easily like take everything down, figure out how you're going to do it. Make sure there's like everything set up from infrastructure to like, 
do player contracts have weird clauses where they're not allowed to play online? Do teams have weird things where they have said in the past that they won't play online, et cetera? Because I don't think anyone was prepared for something like this to happen. Yeah. Um, but then bring it back up as, as a fully online thing. And again, to point to some of the cool things that we've seen LPL and LCK teams do uh, in lieu of being able to meet their fans, uh, the Afrika Freaks started this with their team in LCK, but a lot of other LCK teams followed suit where they do a live stream, like quote unquote fan meet after their games. So people could come in and talk to them via Afrika TV or Twitch chat or wherever they were holding this. So they could still meet with their fans immediately after games and answer questions and talk to them and stuff like that. Um, I mean, heck, we did it with the Overwatch League yeah. on Twitch before there was even the necessity to not have... And, and it could still be done to this day because all these players, especially for games like Call of Duty, a lot of them uh, stream. So there's always yeah. going to be like interaction. And actually, just as we were talking about this, uh, Call of Duty League, as of this recording, has just announced... That okay. they will be going and canceling all the home uh, all the home series events uh, for the foreseeable future, um, and they will be conducting an online league moving forward. Hey. Uh, it says in the interim, Call of Duty League is confident it will continue to deliver fans what they want: amazing competition between the best players competing at the highest level for the right to be considered the greatest team on earth. The Call of Duty League. Uh, has seen firsthand the uh, power of our live events in our inaugural season and will return to a city-based competition in front of a live audience as soon as it is safe and logistically possible. New online matches will be broadcast live to the fans. They will be announced shortly along with tune-in details. Emily, I think yep. we are geniuses. I think yeah, that's what we are. we called it. Let's give ourselves a figurative pat on the back. If this thing was yeah. live, we would be raking in the subs right now. Yeah. But it's yeah, not, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, though? Again, it's smart. It's the right thing to do. It makes the, it makes the most sense, hands down. Um, and uh, and I, I just, I totally agree with it. I mean, granted, look, as a, as a freelancer, it hurts a lot. But as a, a person that just wants to see these kids be safe, um, you know, maybe that's just the 32-year-old old heart in me. Uh, I, I think it's just it's just the right call. So there's there's obviously a lot. We are going to be doing a, a big wait and see moving forward um, with this because yeah. we have no idea when this will end. We have no idea how this will conclude. Uh, but what we do know is that esports can continue to live on, which is pretty damn awesome. Well, and I also think that, yeah, I think that another thing that people need to realize is there's a lot of things that really suck about this at, at multiple levels. Um, but I will say that closing things is actually, as an aside, really aside, one of the easiest ways to not spread a virus. Yeah. So um, the fact that esports is already, you know, we're for good for better for worse we're already used to uh parasocial relationships yeah and oh my god the jokes online things, have been great yeah yeah having things online and you know it's um i think for all of the the negatives going on i do think that esports is uniquely prepared to deal with this in a way that traditional sports just can't and I don't want to play up the like esports versus traditional sports because I, I don't think that's really a thing, honestly. But I do think that this is uh, a time where P 
people are going to realize how valuable uh, streaming is and how valuable a lot of this stuff kind of is in that yeah. you can still have, uh, you know, pretty, pretty fair competition, uh, even without having to, to travel or um, put players at risk of either contracting the virus themselves or spreading it. Couldn't agree more. I wonder as well if this will lead to higher viewership. I'm genuinely interested to see if it will lead to higher viewership uh, because I think that, you know, for a, as good as the uh, home series events and, and the oh, home stands and live events are, uh, the one thing that I always see people say is I just want to watch some damn games, um, which means, you know, most importantly, Emily, the hype battles are canceled. You know, yes. what, what are we going to do? Stop Stop doing hype battles. Stop doing uh, concerts. What are we going to do? I don't know I've what I'm going to do. I've said these things so many times. Um, you, know, you know, you mean to tell me, Emily Rand, that you do not like DJ Khaled at the Overwatch League finals? You mean to tell me? <laughs> I very conveniently missed DJ Khaled, but oh. it was still obnoxious to me because I was interviewing someone on our desk, like on our preview desk. Oh, while yeah. While he was, yeah, while he was performing. And he was so loud that even though I have these like giant headphones, like, you know, ones you wear if you're on yep. a desk at like a live event, I have these giant headphones or like, you know, noise canceling or whatever. And I could still hear like another one in the background. Hey, Emily, like, no. put, your put your hands up for God. <laughs> okay. Put your hands up for God. No. My God, DJ Khaled is a, he's a, he's a gem. He's but become I a meme. Yeah, I don't he know if we become a gamer meme. It's ridiculous how it, it's like, he, you know, and I we were I, we talked about this also on foreheads, which I think is pretty funny. Uh, DJ Khaled was like, it's it was such a joke. But, you know, the Zed was great. And Marshmallow at Fortnite World yeah. Cup was great. And, you know, like uh, True Damage was great. And like those things were just awesome. Uh, it, it's just great when you cater the music to your audience, what kind of an impact it can have. Um, and the timing of it, too. Exactly. Like, like the hype. The thing with hype battles is like, I know the impetus to give uh, teams a break in between, you know, when they play and finals, which is something that's not ever really happened in COD previously, but you know, whatever. Um, the, like I, I get it so that like both teams can prepare that kind of thing. Like if that's the idea behind it, mm -hmm. but it's also like the timing, like everyone ends up looking at the world championship as this is going to lead off with a concert, right? And so if you set that expectation and you have something that people actually want to watch where it's like tied directly into, in this uh, in this case, the game itself, yeah, um, that can be a really cool thing. Like what Riot did at this past world championship was awesome. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we'll see what they do in China this year with everything. If uh, we even get a world yeah, championship we'll in see. China, which I was um, really excited for because I've been watching because of this podcast. I've been watching uh, League of Legends, you know, a little bit uh, more, I would say, closely than I have in the past. Um, so I, I was just pumped for it. And it seems like, you know, now everything's going to slow down to a, to a creep potentially. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, China is in a better, like the, in terms of uh, 
containment, China's in a much better state than the rest of the world right now because they kind of went through it first and the worst. Um, but the, the problem mainly is travel. I think the, the thing also about China is, again, like they're the audience there is just so massive yeah, and true. they it's, it's like league of legends over there is a traditional sport. Like, I don't know how else to tell people or like try to convey the magnitude of the fan base over there, but it's just a completely normal thing. You know, like you, you watch league of legends on your phone. Like you just, you see it like as you pass a, a monitor or whatever in the street, like it's not, it's not this thing where, it's still kind of off to the side as it is in the U S uh, as it is in parts of Europe, et cetera. Like it is just a mainstream regular average sport. Yeah. And so I think the important thing about worlds in China will be, can they bring teams to China and like, and like factoring in any sort of quarantine that would have to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, can teams within China travel, and can fans within China travel? Is the other big thing. Yeah, there's there's so, so many we'll factors. See, we'll see what Riot ends up doing, but like, yeah, I think I do want to reiterate at the end of this conversation that if anyone wants to see a league that I think handled it as best they could during a really rapidly evolving situation, look no further than than the guys over at the LPL because yeah. they've honestly done such a great job in terms of messaging in terms of trying the best to keep their players safe um and it's been really great to see teams come back you know they're all they're all doing their post-match interviews over skype like a whole line of them with their masks and none of them have cut their hair so all their hairs in their <laughs> face you can't even see anything on their face it's very cute it's been very nice to see the lpl come back and, and all the work that those guys have done to make it as competitive uh, and as seamless as possible. For sure, for sure. I'm, I, you know, and yes, I, I think also we as a Western audience should continue to watch more of the, you know, uh, LPL, LCK, even though LCK is super popular, but, you know, Chinese Overwatch, uh, like especially a lot of those uh, Asian leagues out there for PUBG, like they're just so good and the players are so good and the talent's absurd. Uh, besides just how the league has handled, you know, this, this pandemic, but also just, because games are awesome and we should just watch more esports because esports is awesome. I mean, if you awesome. just want to watch talented players try to outdo each other in League of Legends, LPL is perfect for that because all of their all of their like mid to lower tier teams are honestly just insanely mechanically talented players doing really dumb stuff and it's insanely fun to watch. That's awesome. Well, Emily, I know we went way over the time here. Yeah, uh, we did. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I think I actually might just turn this into its own episode because it was such a great conversation. Also, my radiators oh, clanging and banging in the background. We'll move past that one, too. Um, but <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, you know, most importantly, stay safe out there. Uh, you know, I, you're in L.A. I'm in New York. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be some interesting times yeah. ahead without a Major doubt. Major metro areas for yeah, both that's right. of us. You stay safe too. Yeah, well, you can check out uh, Emily and her work on ESPN as well as follow her on Twitter at League of Emily. Uh, thank you so much once again, Emily Rand. You're the best. Thank you. No, thank you. Once again, a huge shout out to Emily Rand for joining me on that esports podcast to talk about her amazing career uh, as a journalist for ESPN Esports and honestly how she inadvertently became an 
I guess, a pseudo expert in the coronavirus and how it impacts esports uh, at ESPN, which is kind of cool and something I certainly did not know. But, you know, obviously with all this stuff, we'll just have to wait and see how it progresses. But most importantly, and for any of my listeners, please, I know you've heard this a million times, but just continue to be safe. Take the proper measures. Wash your hands. Avoid, you know, contact with individuals who you think might be sick. And just most importantly, be safe and spend time with your family. And hey, maybe play some video games too, because video games are a great remedy for those who may be a little down in these very trying times. That's going to do it though. And again, make sure you give a follow on Spotify or you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts as well as Google Podcasts, wherever you choose to listen to your audio goodness. Any kind of support would be huge for myself. So thank you so much. This is a 100% independent podcast. I produce it. I seek out the guests. I edit it. I do all that stuff on my own. So any support that you guys can provide for me is always helpful. As for myself personally, no events, unfortunately, on the docket because, well, I will be uh, at home, let's say, for the next few weeks. Unfortunately, like I mentioned, and as has been talked about quite a bit on this podcast, the coronavirus has impacted a lot of events. And because of that, I won't be working. But you can check me out on twitch.tv slash goldenboyftw, as well as any videos besides that esports podcast that I put up on YouTube. You can search for me, goldenboyftw, on there as well. Give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at goldenboyftw, and that is going to do it for me. Thank you so much once again for giving this a listen. Thank you again to my guest, Emily Rand. And I'll see you next week for another installment of that esports podcast. Peace.